That's what they say. Good morning, bows and arrows of Monument Church. Uh, my name is Caleb, and Joel and I are super excited to be tag team preaching at what it means and what it looks like to be a church that empowers and propels the next generation forward as we seek to advance God's kingdom in our world. And really, the Bible, if you're familiar with the Bible, the Bible is full with incredible stories of God using the weak, God using the ill-equipped, and God using the young. Is that not true? I think of people like Joseph, who became governor when he was just 30 years old. David, who became king also at the age of 30. And Esther, who in her 20s saved an entire nation. And my hope today is that the Bible would once more, as a community, it would once more inspire us, challenge us, and direct us as we seek to see the next generation go further than we could ever go ourselves. And so for me today, personally, it's a bittersweet day. It's, it's bitter because this is actually my last sermon here at Monument Church before Kathleen and I moved down south and serve another church. But at the same time, it's an incredibly sweet day because honestly, I could not imagine a more important topic to speak about as some of my final words here at Monument. I've always believed, if you've known me, particularly back in Cape Town at the previous church, I was part of Common Ground Church. People would always say, like, one thing that Caleb believes in is the next generation. And I genuinely have always believed the next generation is a church's biggest opportunity to advance the kingdom of God. You see, when it comes to the next generation, if you think of it, the stakes are actually quite high. Um, because one of two things can happen. When we get it right, when we, when we get it right with regards to the way we engage the next generation, we're able to unleash storehouses of vision and optimism and energy and childlike faith in the next generation. And the possibilities when you combine that with uh, the all-powerful God, the possibilities are endless. So the stakes are high. At the same time, the stakes are high if we get it wrong. If we fail to focus our energy adequately on empowering and training and risking with the next generation, the ramifications and the losses could actually be eternal. People, theologians today are speaking about the lost generation. The lost generation. The generation that now grows up in the 21st century with not even a reference point for God or the Bible. The stakes are high. Our text today is Psalm 127. You can open, open your Bibles with me and, and hopefully that will make more sense of our little skit. Um, um, but Psalm 127.4 is where we're going to be focusing on this morning. It's a very short but an incredibly powerful verse and it says this. It says, Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. And this short verse is going to provide an image that Joel and I are going to use today. This image of an arrow, of a bow, and of a warrior, an archer. And although at first glance you may read this Psalm 127 verse 4 and think, isn't that like kind of for parents and people with children? It, it actually goes much deeper than that, this verse. It, it goes much deeper than just blood. Because if you think of the church, all over the scriptures, the church is described as God's family. In this room, we have brothers and sisters, mothers and, and fathers, sons and daughters. 
and each of us play various roles to each other. And so Psalm 127.4 is in fact actually for all of us because all of us to some people are arrows. You are an arrow to someone. Someone can empower and propel you forward. And then for all of us, we're also bows. We are able to propel and empower some of us forward. And so I want to encourage you as we dive into this text, the short single verse, don't get caught up on the age brackets. Don't get caught up thinking, oh, I'm young, so that means I'm only an arrow and I can't be a bow. Or I'm really old, um, so that means I'm probably a bow and I could never be an arrow. In fact, we're all arrows in God's kingdom, but we're also all bows. We all have the ability to empower and propel each other forward. And so my plan today is I'm going to speak for 15 minutes about bows. I'm going to speak to those of us that are bows, which actually is all of us. Um, and then Joel is going to come up and he's going to speak to us about arrows. And so let's dive into bows, what it looks like to empower and shoot forward the next generation and the people around us. So the three things, as I've reflected on Psalm 127 verse 4, I've, I've kind of landed on three things bows must do if they want to empower arrows. Three things bows must do if they want to empower arrows. Firstly, bows must see the battle. Bows must see the battle. Psalm 127 4 says, Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. Warrior's hands. That's a key word in our text, warrior, because the implication is there is a battle. There is something that needs conquering. There is something that needs fighting for. Maybe you ask, well, what is the battle? Well, at the highest level, the battle is between God and His church versus Satan and his demons. That at the most high level, light versus darkness. Um, Paul actually expounds on this battle in Ephesians 6 verses 11 to 12. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you may take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 1 Peter 5, Peter talks about um, the devil uh, pr uh, prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In the Gospels, Jesus describes the battle in many different ways. Uh, my favorite description is in Luke 10. In Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 2, Jesus says this. It says, After this, the Lord, Jesus, appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to make every town, to, uh, ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And then he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In Luke 10, Jesus describes the battle as a harvest. There's another uh, part where Jesus talks about, um, he teaches us to pray and he says, um, your, my kingdom come, your will be done. So he's saying the, the battle is actually bringing heaven to earth. The battle is, is between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God. But in Luke 10, Jesus uses this picture of the harvest as the battle. And so he sends 72 warriors out into the battle to go and fight and win this harvest for the kingdom of God. And what I love about Luke 10 is when you think of it, Luke 10 reminds us that Jesus actually saw the vision very clearly. He, he saw the battle very clearly because he could have done it himself. He could have tried. 
He could have chosen his inner three. He had kind of three disciples that he was really close with. He could have said, guys, we're, the, the four of us, we're going to do it. Or he could have chosen the twelve, who he also was very close with. He went even further than that. And in Matthew 28, he goes even further. He says, go into all the world. His, his uh, choosing and his command is to all his followers. And so in Luke 10, Jesus, the bow shoots out 72 arrows into the battle, into the world, because he knows that one or two just can't do it, no matter how sharp, no matter how effective. That's why we don't believe in celebrity culture in church. It's just not biblical. We need all the arrows. Every single person in this room is needed. And the point is this, that only when we're able to see the battle truly, and see the size of the battle and see the demand of the harvest, only then will we really be able to begin to see our great need for the next generation. Think about it this way. If churches and leaders are unable to see the size of the battle, if they're unable to see the vision accurately, why would they spend time sharpening and shaping younger arrows? Why would they spend time releasing arrows? See, the vision you have for the battle determines the way you engage the next generation. If you have a small vision and a small battle in your mind, you're not going to release very many arrows. If you have a big vision and you see a big battle, you're going to want to release all the arrows you can. Bows have to see the battle because when they do, they'll truly understand the importance of the next generation. I mean, you can just imagine a warrior. A warrior who has no battle has no need for arrows. It doesn't matter how many weapons you give him. He's not going to see the need to engage them. But if a warrior is standing at the face of a fierce battle that's life and death, you can imagine every arrow that he can get his hands on is valuable. The arrows become indispensable in that situation. And the Bible is actually very clear with us. If you, if you read the Gospels, there's a sense of urgency. Jesus wasn't rushed, but there is a sense of urgency with regards to the way he engages people. And even the way Paul planted churches across the Mediterranean. The Bible is clear that there is a very fierce battle of life and death. We're battling for our own lives against the roaring lion. And we're battling against Satan for the souls of many in this world that don't know Jesus yet. And so before we even consider empowering and shaping and sharpening arrows, we actually have to see the extent of the battle. We, has, we have to grasp its weightiness. We have to see it in its entirety. And so my question to you is, how big is the battle in your mind? If you think of the kingdom of God, if you think of the the harvest and its plentifulness if you think of matthew 28 the great commission how big is the battle in your mind i would encourage you to go read some heroes of the faith guys like hudson taylor adoniram judson go read some guys that in the late teenage early 20 early 20s they had a revelation of the battle and it guided and directed their entire life. We have to see the battle. 
Second thing bows have to do if they want to empower the next generation, if we want to empower the next generation and the arrows in our midst, is we have to shape arrows. Bows have to shape arrows. And remember I said this, all of us to are a bow to someone else. If you're in your late teenage years, there are people here, kids mainly, um, but they'd look up to you when they're running around after church. They're looking up to you, not the 50-year-old. And when you're a, a young adult and and you're, ex you're uh, exposed to high schoolers or, or people your age, you're a bow to them. And, and that's how it goes through the generations. All of us are able to empower and propel other people forward for the sake of the gospel. And so bows have to be people that are committed to shaping the arrows. We've got to shape the arrows and what that means is we've got to share with the arrows we've got to show the arrows we've got to teach the arrows we've got to have a positive impact on the arrows we've got to love the arrows we've got to encourage the arrows we've got to pray for the arrows it means all of that and more the Bible is just filled with incredible stories of bows shaping arrows. I'll give you two examples, which I really love. One is from 1 Samuel. You remember in the beginning of 1 Samuel, um, there's the priest Eli. And Eli's um, given Samuel, this young, young boy um, that Hannah had miraculously. And so Samuel grows up with Eli. And Eli shapes and sharpens this young arrow. Um, all the way until when Samuel is older, he then becomes a great prophet in the nation of Israel. And he becomes the first prophet to anoint the king of Israel, who was Saul. And then he becomes the prophet to anoint King David and actually has a bit of a relationship with David and, and shapes him. And so you can see through the generations this incredible faithfulness of shaping. Or I think of Barnabas and Paul. I don't know the exact age of Barnabas or Paul, but um, I, I don't think one was older than the other. They were probably in a similar age category. And Barnabas took Paul, who was Saul, under his wing. And he, he said to the, 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 the apostles, he said, I'll take him, I'll teach him, I'll show him. And he did that. And Paul would go on to do incredible things um, and plant incredible churches all across the Mediterranean. And then he took young Timothy under his wing and shaped him and, and sharpened him into an effective arrow. And, and as I reflect on even just those two examples, I just become more and more aware that every single one of us, regardless of our age, we need, we need to be shaped by bows. If you're 40 or 50, you've not arrived yet in the kingdom. There's people that can show you, that can teach you. Maybe even people younger than you. Yeah. If you're in your 20s, you definitely need bows, no doubt. We all need shaping. Seasoned marriages can help new marriages. Mature believers can guide and teach young new believers. More experienced leaders can shape young leaders. We can all shape each other for the sake of becoming more effective arrows in God's hand. Who, by the way, is the master archer? And Joel's going to tell us more about that in a moment. So just let me get very practical. Maybe you're thinking, well, okay, I, I've, I've at times felt a desire to shape arrows, but not really known how. Let me, let me give you some tips. Three tips how to shape arrows. Number one, share your knowledge, your wisdom, and experience. You have knowledge, wisdom, and experience. You may not be the wisest, you may not be the most experienced, you may not be the most knowledgeable, but there's no doubt you have some of those things that you can share that others don't have. Share them. Simple. Second one, use your words to call up, to speak life, to encourage. 
I remember when I was in my early 20s, there were people in our church that would come up to me and just share profound pictures of my future and, and just call me to more. I was 20, 21 and I, I didn't really take necessarily my life too seriously. Um, and people just called me to more. And I just, I just felt a sense like people were believing more in me than I was believing, believing in myself. And, and it encouraged me to step into more of God's will for my life. You can do that after church. Go up to a young person. Go up to someone else. Use your words. Go up to someone and just say, hey, I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, but you have the gift of leadership. And I can't wait to see that thing grow up. Like, just easy, simple. doesn't have to be overly spiritual or profound. Words can, can bring life into a church. And then the third practical way is see yourself as a mentor and a coach. And this is actually uh, this is a key one. Don't, this is not just for those in your 40s, 50s, or 60s. I would love to encourage us in every moment of every day and, and every moment we as a church together, see yourself as a mentor. When you see things that could be done better or you see uh, ways that you can bring someone into a better kind of walk with the Lord, don't, don't wait to share that. Don't feel reluctant. Go and share that thing. See yourself as a, as a coach, a spiritual coach. And importantly... All of what I've just mentioned, those three very simple kind of tips, all require being proactive. They all require a, a level of being proactive. And this is the thing I just want to mention before I go into the second point is, I can't tell you how many people in the church I've seen waste their shaping ability because of, they, were, they, had, they were too self-conscious or they were nervous or they felt like they didn't want to be kind of perceived as proud as a young leader, I can't tell you how much it's meant where older people have come and said things to me and directed me and coached me and rebuked me and helped me. I've never, I've, I've never, uh, yes, I've been offended at times, but I've never felt like that person's malicious. I've never felt like that person's proud. I've never felt um, like that person doesn't have a, a, a right to say what they say. And so I just want to encourage you, be proactive. Don't allow any self-doubt or kind of nervousness to stop you from saying what you think you need to say to, to people around you. Yeah. Psalm 120, uh, 145 verse 4 reminds us of how proactive we should be. This is what it says. One generation, keyword, shall, <laughs> shall commend your works to another. And keyword, shall declare your mighty acts. It's a command. It must be done. You shall do it. You shall commend. So I want to encourage you, be proactive. Ask God for courage. Don't wait for people to come to you. Don't wait for people to ask you questions. Don't avoid shaping because you think you're going to be perceived incorrectly. Remember, it's, it's actually not even about you. It's not even about the arrow. It's actually all about God. It's all about God and His kingdom. When we have a common goal, which is none of us, it's Jesus, we can work very well together as a church. We can shape each other and become effective arrows. I once heard someone say, sometimes a person's biggest contribution to God's kingdom won't be something they do, but someone they raise. I want to just leave that thought with you. Who, who has God put in your life besides your children? And if you don't have children, just think about who has God put in your life that you can raise, you can train, you can shape. 
This is the call of the bows to the arrows. Shape the arrows, shape the arrows. All right, final thing bows must do as they empower arrows is they must release arrows. And this one may seem obvious, but this is an interesting one for me because I've kind of come through being younger and I'm still kind of young, but not as young. I have gray hair and all that good stuff. So this is an interesting one because you would think it's obvious. Yes, obviously we must release arrows, but one of the kind of dynamics that takes place as you get older is that as you look back on your life, and tell me if this is true, as you look back on your life, you realize how ill-equipped you were for, frankly, all of it. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I wasn't ready to get married, really. I wasn't that prepared, and I wasn't that prepared to have kids, and I wasn't that prepared to get a job, and I wasn't that prepared to go to college, I wasn't that prepared to move out the house, whatever it is. You just kind of reflect and think, wow, I just wasn't as prepared as I thought, and I haven't even hit 30 yet, and, <laughs> and I'm thinking like that. Age is a killer. Um, <laughs> but then what happens is, as we have that thought about how ill-equipped we were in our youth, we think to ourselves, oh, we shouldn't do that to the next generation. We shouldn't allow them to experience responsibilities beyond what they can handle or, or, or encourage them to pursue visions that their skill level won't um, enable them to achieve. And so what we do is we resolve to take it slower with the next generation. We resolve, ah, we, we can't risk with them like they did with us. Yes, we made it, but will they make it? And there are times when this wisdom is good and right. But I often find it to be a false analysis for two reasons. Firstly, it's a false analysis, I think, because we often forget that the bow and the arrow are powered by the great archer, not by us, the bow. We are just the bow. There is a great archer standing behind who is actually utilizing the power of both the arrow and the bow. And, the bow. and we are empowered by God himself. And Joel's going to tell us more about that in a moment. So that's the first thing we forget. But the second thing we forget is that actually the fact that, that we, we got thrown in the deep end and the fact that we weren't ready enough and the fact that we weren't mature enough and the fact that we tried and we failed and, and we almost drowned but we made it, all of those things actually make us who we are. All of that makes you who you are. All of those things will make the next generation of who, who they are. And so I want to challenge you to remember that the, the arrows are actually empowered by the archer, not you, the bow. And it's okay to allow arrows to fail forward as they take steps. So let's risk with people. Let's let go of perfectionism and, and let's allow arrows to experience life and leadership and responsibilities and the call of God. Final thing and then Joel's coming up. In Luke 10... Back to Luke 10. Jesus um, gets the 72 back. They return. And verse 21 tells us that Jesus rejoiced. And I find that quite incredible that Jesus, who could have done it on his own, the all-powerful Son of God, who had limitless power and capabilities, he didn't need to release the 72. And yet when they came back with a favorable report, he actually rejoiced with them. And I want to just land with this. We should share Jesus' joy when we see arrows released. We should share Jesus' joy when we see arrows released. So bows must see the battle, see the size of the battle. We must shape the arrows and we must release the arrows. Joel, come my brother.
give us one second as I do all of the mic stuff. All right, good morning. How's it going? It hasn't been said yet. Move it up, okay. But uh, Merry Christmas, because Thanksgiving is over, so. It's officially tis the season. Um, so Caleb just talked so beautifully to the bows, and now I get to talk to the arrows. So we are still in Psalm 127, verse 4. Uh, so I do want to read that again. It says, Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. Um, so I, I want to talk to the arrows today about uh, what it is to be an arrow. Um, and the things that we need to understand to be effective. So the first thing is that arrows are carefully created and chosen. As humans, uh, we are all created in the image of God. You don't just happen to be alive, right? It's actually no coincidence that you're alive in this time and in this location. This means that you aren't just a generic human and you aren't just another person either. You aren't even just alive for the sake of living. And I know you've probably heard this before, but I really want you to hear that you weren't randomly created and now you wake up and you're a student at Montgomery College, or you weren't randomly created and now you wake up and you go teach a, a room of sixth graders who have not yet discovered deodorant. Uh, you weren't even randomly created to change the world. You have been carefully crafted, specifically chosen, and purposefully positioned. So because we're talking about arrows today, I was curious to see like what the process was if I wanted to make my own one of these. So I went onto this website called Archery360. It's a website that I often visit. Um, and, and I found that making arrows is actually a far more complicated and time consuming process than I thought it was. So I, I just want to read this to you guys and it's a five step process, so bear with me. But the first thing you need to do when creating an arrow is straighten the arrow. Obviously the arrow needs to be straight if it wants to fly correctly. Um, but the website says that in, in the worst case scenario, if you can't straighten the arrow, throw it away. It continues to say that new arrows are cheaper than a trip to the emergency room. So let that be a warning. Um, but if it is not straightened, it actually poses danger to the archer or to the person or to someone around them. So that's the first step. Straighten the arrow. The next thing that you need to do is cut and taper it. The arrow has to be cut down to the desired length of the archer. And then you use a tapering tool that matches the diameter of the shaft. Um, and it is imperative that the arrow is the perfect length. If left too long, um, the arrow can actually splinter, and if it's trimmed too short, it can lead to an inaccurate shot. Um, so that's the second step. Cut and taper. Then the third thing you need to do is stain and seal it. This process prevents the arrow from absorbing moisture that can damage it. It's another time-consuming part of the process. And then the third, the fourth thing you need to do is install the points and the knocks. So this uh, this step requires a blowtorch, pliers, glue, and a few other things. And this process ensures that the arrow is able to sit in the bow. And the final step of the arrow making process is the fletching. So this is basically how you put the feathers on the end of the arrow. You have to choose what kind of fletching you like, and then you use a tool to measure it, measure it and then you have to measure it again. Um, and then you have to apply the adhesive and you let it dry for about three hours and then you do this one to two more times. 
It's a tedious and intricate process, and everything needs to be in the exact right position, or else the arrow is useless. So it's obvious that the formation and creation of a specifically chosen, purposefully positioned, and carefully crafted arrow is an intricate and time-consuming process. But it's actually just a drop in the ocean compared to the time and effort that God put in when he created you. Like, if this arrow is intricately put together, how much more have you been intricately put together? Psalm 139, 13-14 says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Knitted, not just thrown together. It also says in Genesis 1, 27, um, that we have been created in the image of God. You are carefully created and chosen by God. But do you know this? Do you, do you live like this? I know it's easy for us to say, yeah, I'm created in the image of God, and then not do anything with it. But, but do you actually view yourself as God's creation? You are a child of God, and therefore an arrow in His hands. The cool thing about arrows is that they don't have legs. You can see that that wasn't a part of the process. Uh, so they actually can't do anything by themselves. But that leads me to my second point, which is that arrows are powered by the archer. The archer being God. I, I can't think of a better example of this than the call of Moses in Exodus 3. I'm just going to read this. Exodus 3, verse 1 through 12. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priests of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him from, out, from the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you, that I have sent you. 
When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This is the moment that Moses was called. This is the moment that God picked up the arrow and put it in the bow. Moses hears God's call, and what is his response? Immediate self-doubt. Like, immediate self-doubt. He jumps straight to, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? Why me? What can I offer? What can I bring to the table? And the truth is, I think if we're honest, most of us can resonate with these doubts. Right? I mean, who am I that I should lead a small group? Who am I that I should get up and give a prophetic word? Who am I that I should mentor someone? Who am I that I should share my faith? Maybe the reason is, I'm, I'm just too young to get up and speak to the entire church. Maybe the reason is, I'm not articulate enough. Or, I don't want that person looking at me weird. Or, I don't want people judging my voice, so I'm not going to join the worship team. I mean, who's had these thoughts? I, I know I have. I mean, I had some of these thoughts this week while preparing this preach. But I love what God says in response to Moses' who am I doubts. I mean, God doesn't start saying, but Moses, you have this charisma about you that enables you to command a room. He doesn't start saying, Moses, you just have that it factor that people just want to follow. I mean, he could have affirmed Moses in gifting or status or even given him the confidence in himself to go out and do it, but he didn't. He says in verse 12, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. I mean, Moses says, who am I? And God says, look at who I am. I've talked to a good amount of people this week who have expressed to me that they feel unqualified or disqualified because they feel that they aren't good enough or they're too big of a sinner. But the beautiful thing is that your gifting, your sinlessness, and your age has never been the thing that qualifies you. So how could your youth, your past, or your lack of gifting disqualify you? None of this changes who God is and what He's able to accomplish through you. You, the arrow, are powered and qualified by God, by the archer. And you are a mighty weapon in a warrior's hand. And the great thing about bows and arrows is that the archer doesn't use one or the other, but he actually uses them both together. Which leads me to my third and final point, which is that arrows are useless without bows. I know they're sharp, but they're actually useless without bows. Did you know that when shot from a compound bow, an arrow can travel up to 400 yards? I wanted to see how far someone can throw an arrow, so I looked it up, and there was this guy on this public forum, another archery website that I visit. (laughs) Um, There was this guy on this public forum who was like just bragging at how far he threw his arrow. He was like, I threw my arrow 40 yards. Like, great for him, right? Like, I'm sure that's impressive, but that's actually 10 times less than what the bow is able to achieve. Not even to mention the reduced speed and impact of an arrow when thrown. All this to say, arrows 
You need bows. Just like Caleb was saying, as we're all bows, we're actually all arrows too. It doesn't matter how old, how wise, or mature you are, you are still an arrow. And you need mature and experienced people speaking into your life, training you and guiding you. I mean, say you're 24 years old, right? And the only advice you get is from your 24-year-old friends. You aren't doomed, but you're... (laughs) Thanks, Josh. (laughs) Can always count on Josh from the back. You aren't doomed, but you're actually cheating yourself from the time-earned wisdom of an older person. I mean, if you're an arrow in this room, which we all are, but if you're an arrow in this room, look around at all of the bows that are in here. Find one. Ask questions. Get a cup of coffee. Seek counsel. These mature men and women are gifts from God. And He actually equips us through them and through their wisdom. Find bows. Eric has been a bow for me in my life. I mean, he's listened to me. He's, he's given advice. He's shared wisdom. And he's helped me in so many ways. Caleb has also been a bow. He isn't super old like Eric. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> I'm kidding. You're so young. <laughs> but, but he's been around longer than I have, and he has more wisdom and more training than I do, which makes him a bow. But there have been many instances where I'm either in a tough situation in life, or I know that I have to have a tough conversation with someone, um, and I've gone to Eric for wisdom. Uh, He he actually never gives me the answer or tackles the problem for me, because that's not what bows do, right? They're not going to give us the answer, but he actually listens to me. He shares his experience in that area, And he shares how he might tackle the situation. And he also shares what he feels God is telling me in that instance. He prepares me for flight, in a way. God, the archer, aims, pulls back the bowstring, and using Eric, sends me far more prepared than I was before. There are so many bows in this room, and arrows, we need them. I mean, we have far better odds at advancing the kingdom of God with these bows rather than just trying to figure it out on our own. So arrows, who is your bow? Find one if you don't have one. If you do have one, lean into them. But I'm just going to come for a landing here before I bring Caleb back up. But arrows, remember, you have been carefully created and chosen. Your purpose is no mystery, and your existence is no accident. Secondly, you are powered by God. You're not powered because uh, He's seen your talent and decided that He wants to invest in you, but you're powered by God because you are His, and He is with you. And finally, you are useless without a bow. At some point, you just have to humble yourself and realize you are useless without a bow. (laughs) You need older and mature people speaking into your life, walking with you through hardships, and sharing their time-earned wisdom. You are surrounded by these bows at Monument. In the hands of these spiritual mothers and fathers, you are like an arrow. And remember, we have far better odds at advancing the kingdom of God with these bows rather than just figuring it out on our own. Thank you. Great.